Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. How many times have you started out on something only to get, not even halfway through, only to get into it and you're scratching your head? You're not quite understanding what's going on or how you're going to do it. Didn't quite go according to plan, but you knew somehow that you were supposed to be here. You were supposed to be where you are. This is ministry that is God-ordained, and yet it doesn't look like it until you begin to remember that it actually does look like it because he is the planner. We are the executor of the plan. And as I look at chapter 17, you know, after that great miraculous call to Macedonia in a dream that night, as they were trying to go into different places and kept getting no, no, and no, some of us would have been like, well, what's your yes? Like, you got us out here. What are we doing? But it wasn't that. Instead, it had Paul, who was resting, who was asleep, because some of us wouldn't have gotten any sleep. Paul, who was asleep and had a vision at night, who was resting, gets the command of where to go next. And you would think, because I got this miraculous sign and call, that, man, it must, this is going to be awesome. How many of us, if we got that kind of call to our next assignment in the Lord, we would be so elated because we would think, it's on now. God called me into this thing like this. I can't even imagine what he's going to do. But many times what we don't take into heart and take into mind is this whole notion of things don't always go what, I mean, according to what's right in our mind, even when God calls, even when he sets it up, even when he miraculously arranges it. And I want us to understand that so that when you get into ministry that you believe is God-ordained and it seems to be some hurdles and some hiccups, you know, and some doors that don't seem to open, you don't start to scratch your head and wonder, was this God? but you respond in the way that is appropriate to the situation that's standing in front of you. We prayed already, but we're going to read together. Acts chapter 17. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to read all of it just for the sake of time, but I'm going to start off with the first part. And then we'll jump right in for us. Ministry in Macedonia, and this is Thessalonica and Berea, because we know he's going through a string of things. I'm going to show a map in just a moment, but I want us to read and understand what has happened. Now, remember, they had hit Philippi. Last week, we read out of Philippians. And this was a church that seemed to be started in one of the most unlikely ways. You would not necessarily start a church plant the way the church in Philippi did, and yet this is God's church, not ours. And so he just calls you and I to be faithfully obedient, and he will do the work, right? And so at the end of 16, we, we see that, that, that they came into Philippi, had some ministry success, had some big 
pushed back, was jailed, thrown into prison, and as they were thrown into prison, was still in the mind to worship the Lord. And as they worshiped the Lord, the Lord broke them out in such a way that not only did he free them physically, but he freed some people spiritually because he saved the Philippian jailer. And then they all met back and they began to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And out of that time, you don't get it, but out of that time, the Philippian church was born. And then he writes to that church that we got last week that was one that gave him the most when he was the neediest. And so now we get into verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And, and they all are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. That is the word of the Lord. Let us jump in. We see here again two responses to the gospel being preached and proclaimed and the example for us this isn't just a history lesson to show us how he went from city to city we are to look at what they were faced with how the world responded to the proclaiming of the gospel and how they responded to their response in other words he's given us some good patterns for how we do ministry and even how we do evangelism I know we have on the docket for my brother Bird, he's going to be starting a class in one-to-one -one evangelism. And one of the things that happens a lot of times is however people respond, many times we'll decide how we move forward and what we do. And sometimes we think there's just one way and only one way that we need to be able to reach people. I'm not talking about using the Scripture and not using the Scripture. We're not talking about that. That's the one way you better stick with because they did as well. But what I'm talking about is methods and modes and how you go about doing it and what do you do and how do you flex. They're giving us great examples as they are going into these different cultures and sometimes as they're dealing with same ethnicities in different cultures. And then what do we do as a result? 
And how does that help us to carry out and move the mission along as God has called you and I who name the name of Christ, you and I who call ourselves Christians, as we go to proclaim, as Paul did, and promote Christ, we see how we are to respond when faced with different scenarios. And we can see some of these today. We start off with what is mentioned as two by-the-way cities. Paul, can you put up that map for us? And, 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 and if you can see that, you'll begin to look and see how, see? okay, you can, you can begin to look and see how as they started off, we see of when they crossed over. You have four, they were in Mycenae, they were in Troas, and then they cross over into Macedonia. You know, they cross over into Europe. As, you, as a matter of fact, if you go up here, Turkey today, where it says Black Sea, that little isthmus, you have the European side of Turkey today and the Asian side of Turkey. Well, back then, you were going into Europe. That was their entrance in what was called Macedonia. And so as he gets up to Neapolis and Philippi, and they have the, um, the success, and then they leave, they have to leave, and two cities are there, Amphipolis and Apollonia, two cities. And they just get quick mentions. But doing just a little research, you see that there was some fruit from that. We don't get anything else on them in this. They were two stops. These cities were about 24 hours away from one another, so they were both like overnights. In other words, probably about in kilometers, which is how most of this is measured, they're probably about 37, 40, 40 kilometers apart. And so it would be about a day's walk. And so what happened is once they left that great, great time in Philippi, they head on out just looking to cross, uh, I mean, along the main Roman road that's there, that, and, and, and that road was created for commerce, that road was created for business, but God used it for ministry. See, the Romans didn't know that their network of roads and that their network of how you got from place to place, God was going to intentionally use that for his purposes to spread the gospel. And I would say to you and I, please don't be afraid to use what God has allowed the world to develop for you to proclaim the gospel. Some of those jobs that you're in isn't just so that you can make the money. God has opened a door and has laid a road so that someone can come to know Christ. That job is not just for your comfort. That education isn't just for you to grow in wisdom. He has paved the road for you to walk down, and he is intended for you to use it, not only for those purposes in which they were created, business, but ministry. And I would say, how are the roads that God has laid, that he has put out, and that man is using for one thing, how are you using it for him? And so we get these two city mentions. They leave this great ministry opportunity, and then they have just these quick mentions. See, once again, you would think after leaving a great opportunity like Philippi, God is just going to keep building on that. And then you come to an Amphipolis and an Apollonia in ministry, and that's all they get are these quick mentions. Sometimes ministry is like that. 
Like what? Sometimes God gives you these great, grand successes, even in the face of big opposition, and sometimes he just gives you overnight ministries that no one talks about. And you just go from one place to the next. Amphipolis, there are some markers there that Paul was there. It was the, um, it was the seat of government for that region in Macedonia, the first region. Thessalonica was the, was, the, um, was the government seat for the second region. And so you see how God was having them go from main center to main center, and here's what they were doing. They were just planting seeds of the gospel. That's all. Hey, guess what? They go, well, they didn't stay and plant a church. They didn't stay and make sure, you know, hundreds came to Christ. That wasn't the plan initially. I want to say to you guys, please be aware of what part of the plan God is using you to fulfill. Some of us think we got to be in the center of everything all the time, and it depends on me and you. And if I don't do it, it ain't going to be done. Listen, if God causes you to exit this earth, guess what's going to continue to go on? His plan. He is using us as a part. We are not the center. Jesus is. And so we have, to be, we have to be willing and able for God to use us in some overnight, not much mentioned ministry, as well as those great ministry successes. If you allow yourself to be used like that, you will have fewer and fewer hangups when God flexes you. Because some of us are still mad that God didn't let us stay at that last place because you thought you could have great ministry there. You thought you could do it. Man, I, there was an open door. I don't know why you didn't let me stay. God was like, because I didn't want you to. I needed you to move on. There were others that were coming by. Do you think ministry died in Philippi because Paul wasn't there? No, it grew. Do you think ministry was able to continue in Amphipolis and Apollonia? It sure was. Amphipolis said that it was known to have had a church that was there because in the ruins, there are ruins of a church that had been built there. The gospel spread without Paul. But it was Paul's ministry and his obedience that had caused it to be initiated. And others played the other parts. And so we get these two. I put here, you know, sometimes you know, God has those overnight stops but those overnight stops are still important. Sometimes God has you doing quick ministry that seems meaningless, doesn't get a lot of attention. And can I actually say that's probably a lot of our ministry? It doesn't get a lot of attention. Is it needed? Oh, boy, is it. What is the fruit of it? I don't know. Are you responsible for what happens after you leave? No. But the legacy of you being there should go on in some form or another. And so when I see this kind of ministry, I see someone who says, quick stop overnight, and then they get into Thessalonica, and then they go into Berea, and we see two different responses. But Paul, remember, Paul has said that after one of his brushes with the Jews, we're going to the Gentiles. Ministry to the Gentiles will start. 
But he still kept his custom that wherever there was a synagogue and there were Jews, he didn't stop ministering to them. He just now started ministering to the Gentiles. And so when we see here, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue. And for three Sabbaths, some would think, oh, he was there for three weeks. No, Paul was probably there for longer than three weeks. But three of those Sabbaths he spent in the synagogue. And here's what he was doing with them. He could, he, could, he could argue the scriptures. He could really get into what the scriptures were saying. Why? Because the Jews understood the scriptures. What scriptures? You know, they didn't have Acts. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What scriptures was he talking about? Well, he was talking about what we would consider the Old Testament. And that why would they do that? Because all of that pointed to Christ. It gave them the character of God. It showed them what they needed to know about Jesus. And so he walked through diligently, helping them to see that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. He could do that with them because they had the history. He could do that with them because they had the knowledge. It's like you and I talking to church folk, people that grew up in church, understood the scriptures, and people that have never set foot in a church. If you are doing ministry the same with both of those, mm, something's not going to happen. There's going to be a lot of misunderstanding. And so this group, the Jews, fully understood, or at least they should have, the Scriptures. Think of the conversations that you've had with people that have grown up in church, people that knew the terms, people that heard the Word of God before, and you're talking to them and you're discussing the Scriptures and maybe even using some of the jargons that you grew up using in church. Because there's some words that we use that people don't even know what that means. You go to someone that has never set foot in a church, you say, you need to be redeemed. And they'd be like, you need to explain that word. Have you been saved? And I was like, from what? And so what I realized is with this group, he could lean in to what the Bible, I mean, to what the Old Testament scriptures actually said and take them and prove to them that Jesus is the Christ. This is also a good map for us today as you are talking to people of Jewish culture and descent and you're trying to proclaim the gospel. I know people that are Jewish that are not believers and and, and, and I've heard, you know, they said, if a Jew believes in Jesus, he's not really Jewish. Oh, no, he is. And let me show you through the scriptures why. And that's a great way to take them. Take them to the scriptures that they honor. Take them to the ones that show. And just, but here's what it means. It means you need to know them. Don't try and take people through something you don't know. And so we get a map here of even how they dealt with Jewish folk and how they shared that gospel and how they tied in the Old Testament and how Jesus even said he was the fulfillment of prophecy. And look at the kind of success he had. Three different Sabbaths. He was in there, verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the, for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead because so many people were hung up over, well, if he was God, why did he have to suffer like that? And still people that say that to this day, if he was God, why did he have to suffer like that? Why did he let himself get abused like that if he was God? Which tells of a mindset that they have, that godly people should just have it easy. 
Don't be mad at them. Some of us have that mindset too. Just because you name the name of Christ, it's supposed to be easy. And he said why he must suffer, and his suffering was because of our sin. And why he must suffer, why he needed to die, why he rose from the dead, and explaining those things, not just throwing them out there. And some of them understood it, and some of them came to Christ. It said that some, and, 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 and by the writing here, the connotation is, is, is some. It wasn't a whole lot. But the atmosphere was not one that was embracing and accepting because most of the time when they talk about Thessalonica and the Thessalonians, most of that time that um, what was being spoken of was the opposition. So, so you had some ministry success here. You had his culture that he was speaking to in a way that they would understand it, using those things that would bring the gospel and make it clear to them. Some received it, but there was a lot of people that rejected it. And why did they reject it? It said here, it had nothing to do with the gospel. Because what's believed to have happened is Jason, who now was hung up in this, it is believed through tradition that Jason's house he came to Christ, and he was the point where people were coming from the synagogue over into Jason's house as they were having church. And as that crowd grew, however slow it grew, that means those were people that were not attending synagogue. And what happened as a result? Verse 5, because we see that there were more and more a great and, and did a great many of devout Greeks. So Greeks were coming. And not a few of the leading women. That was a negative word of saying a lot of the prominent women in the city were coming as well. And our sisters were leading the way. We see in Philippi, it was Lydia. We see in Thessalonica, it were these leading women. And finally, some of the men got some sense and said, ooh, man, this Jesus is actually real. Thank you, sisters. And verse 5 says, but the Jews were jealous. How do you, knowing the scriptures, knowing that they are pointing to Christ, you just don't want to believe it, get jealous over people coming to a realization that Jesus is the Christ. And you call yourself religious. But you know there are some. I've come across some of those. People that call themselves religious but are mad that people are leaving where they are and going to a place where the gospel is being preached and proclaimed, they are angry. I had a pastor in our town, a place where I was um, as pastor. I didn't know this until later, but at, he, would, he would never talk to me after the first time that we met. And I found that, that he was angry because their church, where the gospel was not being proclaimed, was dying quickly. People were leaving, and people were coming to ours. And he would see me on the street and not speak, and I was like, Kind of strange. He would not. He might as well wave it. And someone was telling me he's angry at you. What did I do? You know, he's a folk that are coming. I didn't do. Look, he need to go talk to God. I didn't do that. See, but the issue becomes: How do you get angry 
when people are coming and learning about Christ when you don't want to know him. When you are the center, when you want to be the center of attention. When they said that they were jealous. They wanted what was happening there to happen where they were. I got a quick remedy for that. Preach the gospel and they would have stayed where you were. But because they didn't, and because you didn't want to embrace Christ. So understand, you would have, sometimes you'll have ministry and people that should know Christ, people that should understand God, will get jealous and will get mad at you because you are leading people to salvation and they aren't. Sometimes the opposition will come from our own folk who know the same things we do but refuse to embrace Jesus. And you can't let that stop you. As a matter of fact, look at what happened. Their jealousy didn't just stop at jealousy. They didn't get mad. They did something about it. And so now what ends up happening is that they get some of the wicked men in the city. Here's what gets me. Hold on. Hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. You belong to the synagogue. You're supposed to be, you know, helping people to grow and understand about the Lord. You're supposed to be teaching the scriptures. You go and find wicked people? What? When those who are supposed to be godly go out and get wicked to help them do what they want to do. And look, let's not just throw this group under the bus. We still got people doing that today. They go out and find the wicked to stir up trouble and to stir up anger and to stir up stuff. Why? Because they don't like what you're doing. Not understanding that what you are doing is Christ-driven. It is God. I mean, it is Christ-centered, God-driven. And look at what they do. So they stir up. It says some people from the rabble. Depending on your version, some of your versions would say some worthless guys. Some of us would say, you know, some of them street dudes. You know, some dudes from that hood. I'm not saying yours, that hood. And what were they wanting to do? They were wanting to create trouble, and they wanted to get Paul. Problem was, we don't know what happened to him. Gone. Look, Paul has been down this road already. He saw the crowd starting to stir up and realized, yeah, we out. Next place. Look, he was, I mean, he beaten, he was, you know, jailed, he was flogged. I mean, come on, the man's been through it. He could read the signs. And they left. And some of you would say, yeah, but he left Jason and them. No, he left Jason and company to deal with life as a believer in the world. He didn't set them up. Just because you brought someone, and I was reading this great book, um, and it was really talking about how as they started ministry in this one place, how they didn't understand how God worked, but they saw how he worked. They were, um, the book is called The Insanity of God, actually. And and. And he was talking about ministry in those early days in, why am I not thinking of the place? Um, some of you would remember the story Black Hawk Down was in this country. Huh? Bogadish, right, thank you. You know, Somalia. And he was talking about ministry there and how undercover they were doing ministry and people were coming. And he said he remembers the time that someone that he led to Christ, he led. He said, when some of the gangs that heard about this person being a Christian, how they caught up to him. 
and that he wouldn't renounce his faith, and they assassinated him. And he said, in my mind, I was responsible for his death. He couldn't deal with that first, and then he really had to get past it. He said, why? Because I led him to Christ. And if he had not been a Christian, he would not have died. And then he realized that's exactly where God wanted him. And for sometimes for you and I, we may do things in ministry that may get people in godly trouble. It's okay. It's okay. You did what God wanted you to do. He knows how to handle his children. He knows how to deal with that. He knows that, 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 that you being faithful caused this person to come to Christ and it caused their whole family to be estranged from them. No one wanted to talk to them. They lost their job. And boy, they're just as excited for the Lord. And you're sitting there going, wow, if I had not come in and just started all this. And God is saying, that's exactly what you should do. And Paul left, not saying, oh, man, I left Jason and them, boy, flat. No. They ran up on their house. They grabbed them. They tried to, they, they really tried to get them to talk. Where are they? What happened to them? You know, and after they, and it's a, after they paid them some money, that's really like our, um, our whole bond issue. After they put up some bond, because they probably had to deal with some legal issues later, they let them go. They went on in ministry. But we see here deep, great opposition to some ministry success. And some of us would even say, that wasn't worth it. We only saw this little bit of fruit and got all this opposition. You don't know what the Lord is going to do. But let me tell you what the Lord did. Through that group that seemed small compared to the opposition, guess what the Lord did? He planted a church. And the reason you get First and Second Thessalonians is because Paul had to write back to this church that he had to leave in its young stage. He had not planned to leave early, but 1 Thessalonians especially was written because he wanted to make sure they were settled because he had to leave in this scenario earlier than he wanted. And so what he realized is, okay, there was an issue with me not being able to be face-to-face, -face, but I'm not the Spirit of God. He knows how to hold them, but I can write, I can encourage, I can stay in touch. And God has ministry like that for some of you. Oh, you might have been the initiator of ministry for them, but you are not the one that God is getting to continue to go through with them. Someone else is, but you can stay in touch. You can continue to encourage. You can, you can, you can continue to promote godliness in their life. And so they ended up leaving. And that's one group. Now, let me tell you one thing that we can do. Thessalonica and Berea were not that far apart. Kind of a day's journey again. Another day's journey. It was not that far apart. But one of the things that happens with us is that when something like that bad happens, or what we say bad, or something hard happens like that to us, we tend to take that to the next place. In other words, we stereotype the next group of Jews that we deal with. Look, they weren't far, so, you know, that's like going from here maybe to Muncie. And so we say, well, if the people in India like that, the people in Muncie are probably like that too. And God says, don't you dare do that. You just be faithful to ministry. You don't know what they're like. And he's dealing with the same ethnicity, but in a different city. 
Because when, when he gets to Berea, he meets Jews first. But look at these Jews. Why were they different? I don't know, but they were. What does it say from them? Verse 10. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. How were they more noble? He tells you. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women, there are our sisters again, of high standing as well as men. I'm going to stop there for a moment. You get a totally different group in the city next door. See, what is it? They were more noble. Why were they more noble? Instead of getting jealous over the word of God being preached, they were excited to understand the word of God more clearly. Same ethnicity, different response. And that for us is saying, Luke is also telling us that not all Jews of the, of, of the diaspora were the same. He said you were dealing with different people in different cities in different parts of the world, and you need to deal with them differently. And God is saying just because I allowed this to fall out the way it did here doesn't mean it's going to happen there. Well, God, I, you, look, look, you know what happened over here. I don't want to go there and have the same thing happen. Don't worry about that. And so now you got a different group of people, and what ends up happening? In Berea, they are more noble. They are with eagerness. They're hearing the word explained. It's like night and day. And they're hearing and explained, and they're excited. And they, are, they did something that you and I must do as well and encourage people that we talk to and that we share the gospel with. Go to the scriptures and see if what I'm saying is true. Make it more than about you. Make it about the word of God. Look at the scriptures yourself. See if what I'm saying is true. Hey, I'll say that to you today. Don't take my word for it. You better not. Look in the scriptures and see if I'm in it. And, and, and if there's ever a time where I'm not, pray for me and talk to me. I don't see that. I'm leaving that place. That dude done lost his mind. Talk. If the person doesn't want to hear, okay, you, you make some decisions. But you be in the scripture yourself, and if you don't have understanding, ask for clarity. I didn't understand what you meant when you said this, because you might get an understanding after that. And so what do we see that happens is that they hear it, they love it, there is greater acceptance, but then there's still opposition. Verse 13 but when the Jews from Thessalonica, and, and, and when I read this I just repeatedly, I go, why don't y'all mind your business? Like, what has this got to do with you? Y'all were jealous because of the synagogues there. We left. Why are we still in your head? That's what we would say today. We still living rent free. You come all the way over here to us. But when... The Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also. They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. I'm like, 
y'all need a job. Y'all need something to do. You find your way all the way. You travel a day's journey because you heard we were proclaiming Christ. Once again, people from the synagogue that should have known the word of God better but had no desire to grow in Christ. Their whole existence was not about the word of God. It was about their popularity and their status. And they didn't want this happening in that next town. We need to stop that over there too. And some of us will get upset. God, really? Like, like we doing this great work and you got these dudes? And some of us would use some other words. You got these people coming all the way over here just to stop us with that? Like, God, can you just tell us, look, get them to leave us alone. God says, I'm doing something here by allowing it. The opposition comes in different forms, and sometimes from people that should know better. I'm going to tell you, too, sometimes from our own people that opposition would come. Can we please stop acting like your ethnicity is the only one where sin doesn't abound? It's in everyone's, period, because it runs through society. Sin is sin, and where it's wrong is wrong. And when they oppose Christ, they, they oppose Christ. I don't care where you're from. They travel the day's journey to oppose Christ. I don't want to be y'all. Don't stand by me. And what happens? We don't get a whole lot of what they, they leave. Like, wait a minute. You're having great ministry going on, people that accept it. You're leaving? Yes. Why? Because they were obedient and proclaimed the word. And they realized it was going to get tough. They had experience with it. They knew, hey, we can stay and say, we're going to tough it out. Here's what they weren't. They weren't even vengeful. We're going to stand and, and, and have our rights. Okay. You better make sure that's what the Lord wants. But they left. And you said, did they leave ministry? No, they didn't leave ministry. They just left that place. We don't hear much more about Berea. But we know that the word of God grew there. We knew that they were people that were hungry for the word and that were growing and that there were people that opposed that God will deal with the opposition. I know he did. But you and your obedience in the face of opposition cause a group of hungry people to know Christ and grow in Christ. Stop believing just because you got opposition, just because you didn't finish the job you thought you were there to do, that God wasn't working. He is fully at work. See, it really saddens my heart as I thought about it that sometimes ministry in Thessalonica will cause people to quit. They were like, nah, this is, this is way too hard. I'm doing something good, and all we get is opposition. And these are we could say, these are synagogue folk. These are church folk. Man, like, what is going on? Some of us that survive that, we get to Berea, and people are widely accepting the Lord. We're in a position where people are now coming to know Christ, and there's still opposition, and sometimes that'll get you, that'll get you to quit because you go, God, like, I get, here's the deal. Wherever Christ is being proclaimed, opposition is being demonstrated. Get that in your mind. Always, in some way, 
there will be pushback. And so they assessed the need. They left. And in this particular sense, before they all left Thessalonica and went to Berea, I love the flexibility of this team. This time, they sent Paul out, and the team stayed. Silas and the others stayed. Silas and Timothy stayed there. And they continued ministry. You see the flexibility? You see that we don't have to do it this way all the time? They look for opportunities. They flex. It's not about me. First it was, look, we all need to go. Then it was, Paul, you need to get up out of here. We got this. And, 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 and then he went on to Athens. And this would not be this Jewish haven and center. This time it would be really in the heart of Greek culture, in the heart of those that did not grow up hearing about God and his Christ. And next week when we get there, we're going to see a totally different approach when they don't know the Scriptures. And I would tell us, listen up, read ahead. What happens when you deal with people that don't know and don't honor the Scriptures, but you need to proclaim Christ anyway? Because God calls you and I to that. And we get that. Remember, the mission is unstoppable, and so you are flexing, you are turning, you are moving, you are, you are going on when you didn't think you would. There's so much that's happening, and yet you're not stopping. Why? Because it's not about you. You are not at the center. Jesus is. Your comfort is not king. The mission is. Your happiness is not what's before you. It's your faithfulness. Whether you get beat down or whether you escape is not the point. The mission is. And boy, he has given us some great lessons in what we do in that. And so he goes at the end. He says, he goes on. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off, verse 14, on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed, and so they left. And so we get this, wow, that was pretty, you know, quick. It didn't seem like it was that great of a send-off. Look, you do ministry in the way that God allows. When God opens a door, walk through it. When he closes a, when he closes a, a, a door, go to the next one. Don't stand there in front of the door crying and mad because he shut it. What's next, Lord? And as we go through 2024, there'll be opportunities that we can take advantage of that we'll be excited about. There'll be some that that door will shut right in front of us and we'll go, well, excuse me. Man, I thought that that one would be open. Okay, it's not. Next. What do we do next? But if you stop at the door and you camp out, I'm not going anywhere to this door open. You might die at that door. Or you do a Paul and Silas and Timothy and you keep moving. Wherever God opens, you go. Wherever he closes, you leave. That's the kind of believers that are unstoppable in this mission. 
You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.